do want to take this opportunity to welcome all our KKVV listeners on the 1060 AM dial. We know that most of you are regular listeners to our worship service here at Abundant Life. We appreciate having you. Also, I want to welcome those who are watching us live at this time at www.abundantlifelv.org. As we seek to celebrate the reason for the season, which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at this time, we ask that you share with us as we worship him in spirit and in truth. Our speaker today is our very own senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock, and he has a special message on his heart to share with you and with, her, with us here at the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are still located at 1720 North J Street, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89106. Please do call us, give us your feedback at 702-647-2627. Before we hear from our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock, we will have another special song of meditation by Wyalina, then we'll hear from our senior pastor, Hear Ye Him. Happy Sabbath. Say 
Thank you again, Sister Wylena, for taking us not only on the former journey with your music, but on this trip as well, reminding us that this is a season for rejoicing in the birth of our Lord, and that in spite of all of our other busy activities, we are mandated to remember that it is the Christ of Christmas who is important and who brings our thoughts and vision to focus. Before I read the scripture that launches us on our way with our thought of meditation today, I want to remind the congregation that for next year, as for every year in the past several, we will have a slogan. And your form is in your bulletin. And you can write one, two, or three, or whatever. And for those of you who have been here for several years, you know how we do that. I don't know. You know, we started out, I think, with Stay Alive in 2005. Was that right? Put prayer in the mix in, yeah, you know, all along. So I don't know what you want to do for 2011. On the way to heaven in 2011? Some such thing. Um, and you will receive a set of Ellen White's indexes. You will receive whoever the church chooses. The elders don't do that. We take all these names and we give them to an independent committee. They study and look at it. Then we give them back to you and the church votes. And whoever's suggestion is chosen, that person will get the testimony index. All right? Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we gather now around the word. All the singing and the giving and the announcing and the programming is over. Now, Lord, as we open the word for study, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us in his own way and that the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts shall be acceptable in thy sight. In Jesus' name, amen. The scripture read by Principal Holiday, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, forms the background for our message of the hour. John 1, 1. I shall not read all of the verses again, but I want you to focus on the first one or two. The word of God says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. Our topic is Jesus, the light of the world. 
It's Christmas time, and I am convinced that one of the primary reasons for the high joy and feel-good atmosphere that this season generates is the large volume of Christmas melodies that we hear. From the tra-la-la-la-las that give us happy feet as we shop and loosen our pocketbooks to the old little town of Bethlehem and joy to the world that we sing in church. These carols lift our hearts and buoy our spirits. It makes the season bright. And there is one particular song that I find especially meaningful, and it's one that we've sung already today. Hark, the herald angels sing. Jesus, the what, everybody? The light of the world. And how appropriate that we should so declare. For Jesus is the light of the world. In the first place, he is the source of our physical light. And in case you've forgotten, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. At the very beginning of the word, the Bible reads, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be what? And there was what? There was light. Yes, from the very genesis of it all. The very first command that God gave, his maiden miracle, his initial directive to this dark, formless world was, let there be light. And scripture says, there was light. And what I want to point out is that because he is light, because light emanates with him. Jesus is where all of the light begins. He is the fountain of light. He is the base source of light wherever we find it. Every flare and every glare Every physical gleam and beam and fluorescence and incandescence comes from Jesus. And after he had said, let there be light, and there was light, no sun, no moon, but light, because he was light, the sun came four days later, because he was light and said, let there be light, let there emanate from my presence light. It was divided from darkness. And on that fourth day when he lit the sun and placed it in its orbit and gave to it unending, life-giving, light-producing energy and told it to shine by day upon this world and be his relay station. And that's all the sun is.
God's relay station for the electrical particles and energies that are produced from his being so that this world could be warmed and so that vegetation could grow and so that the life-giving beams of, of heaven could shine upon our existence from that very beginning. It was clear that Jesus is the light of this world. And it's his holiness that makes him shine. His purity is so intense. He is so squeaky clean that according to Hebrews 12, 29, he is a burning fire. He is so righteous that he emanates. He, his vibes come off like electricity. And not only our son, but the thousands of worlds with their sons throughout the vast expanse of the universe are lit and shine because Jesus is the light of this world and he's the light of every sun in every world wherever humans or wherever other beings exist. And we see the consequences of his brightness. We see it in the headlights of an automobile. Those blinking lights can be traced back to the sun and back to the God who made it. We see the consequences in the bright searchlights that point to the skies from the Lexors of our major cities to the flashlights that our children point and play at night. We see Jesus in the blinking flashes of the lightning bugs beneath our feet and the frightening dashes of lightning that strike over our heads. Even in the depths of the sea, in the absolute darkness of the bottomless oceans, where there is life that exists too deep for sunlight to penetrate, there are fish with glowing eyes and luminous fins, Every flickering candle and every glittering chandelier, even the lonely, inanimate lump of coal, speaks to the light who is Jesus. The tree once lived, but was buried with the forests that were inundated by the flood. The tree was covered with mountains of debris as the floodwaters convulsed the earth and the hills and the mountains were turned upside down and buried far beneath the surface of the earth. And the miner goes down and chips away and comes up with tons of coal and that lump of coal, dark, black, dead coal is thrown into the fire and it flames because hidden in its properties, after it has been fossilized and buried for thousands of years, is still light from the tree that God made as a result of the shining of the sun. And it all happened because God said, let there be light. It is true that the scientists from Benjamin Franklin before and after have reached out and harnessed the atoms and the molecules and the electrons of the sky and they have sliced and diced and split them and caused them to light up our stadiums. 
to power our machinery and to run our factories and even now to treat and heal our diseases. But they did not originate this light, these scientists. This is a gift from God, the son of man and son of divinity. He started it all and he has ever been and remains. Jesus, the light of our world. But he is not only the light of our physical world, the physical light that we see. He is the fountain of intellectual light as well. Notice what the book of Romans has to say. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to 23. Jesus is the light of our intellect. Because, verse 19, Romans 1, what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, and became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were what, everybody? Darkened. Were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became what? And changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. You see, when God made Adam, he did so in his own image. He outfitted him with just the right quality of intelligence to rule in the light the physical light that this planet had been provided. This Jesus, who is the light of the world, made Adam from the dust. And since dust cannot hold form, I think James Weldon Johnson was right, the black poet, when he said he made man out of clay. One has difficulty conceiving of how dust itself would hold. Maybe God did it that way, but for our understanding, let's see this image in the ground. Let's see this lump of clay and understand that what God did, first of all, was to give him two legs, and he gave him two feet, and he gave him two arms, and a torso, and ribs, and along his spine, Along his back, a spine that came up to the top of his neck. And this spinal column that he gave him had wires, sensitive wires, that would lead up to the cranial cavity where he placed an intricate collection of highly sensitive apparatus. At the lower part of the brain, or the top of the spinal cord, he planted a capacity for reflex. 
And we have come to call this point of control for our reflexes the medulla oblongata. I read that in the dictionary yesterday. <laughs> and this would be the area where Adam's cardiovascular and respiratory functions would find management. And just above the medulla oblongata at the top of the spinal cord, he placed another device called the cerebellum. And there he planted the chips that were to control Adam's posture, his ambulatory movements of the body, if you please. And above that, above the cerebellum, he had fashioned for Adam a larger capacity at the top and main part of his brain that is known as the cerebrum. And he divided the cerebrum into two hemispheres. How am I doing, Fondy? Is that what you studied? All right. He divided that cerebrum into two hemispheres. And each hemisphere had four lobes. They were called, the, we call them, the frontal lobe, where motor functions are conducted or originate. And the parietal lobe, which is the part of the brain that has to do with touch and feeling and memory. And the temporal lobe, that is the place where we are given perception and sound. And finally, the occipital lobe all in this brain that he had made in this man. The occipital lobe where Adam was to have the genesis of vision. And each of these two hemispheres were or was to control the opposite side of the body in function. And beneath it all was a small area where God determined that speech would be controlled and managed. And all of these synaptic lines and tissues and nerves were perfectly arranged and carefully housed in this cranial capacity that God spoke into existence for Adam. But when he had finished speaking, Adam was still a lump of clay. Adam was in the original and absolute sense brain dead. A marvelous form, a, a beautiful symmetric form. Biblical chronologists and anthropologists believe 18 feet long, 18 feet tall, but laying there inanimate on the ground with no life and no ignition and no activity. But then it happened. God leaned over and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the lights came on in Adam's cranium. And Adam stood up and now he could see and he could hear and he could feel and he could touch and he could taste and he could think and he could walk and he could look at his maker and commune with his maker and his mind now lit by the breath of God was a quality of thought and intellect almost as bright as the angels in glory. 
And when God had made Adam thus and given him this marvelous intellect, the human race had been fused and wired and fired and lit with a spark of divine intelligence and then loosed to reign in the bounteous kingdom that God had prepared. But sin came and eroded that intelligence. It gradually, this sin over 4,000 years, reduced the brain power, the intellectual prowess that God had given to Adam. It reduced it before the flood, the first 1,600 years of Earth's existence. And after the flood, that reduction was even more rapid. So that by the time that Jesus was born, 4,000 years after creation, human intelligence was flickering at its lowest. Isaiah had predicted in the 60th chapter of his book that when the light that is Jesus would come to our world, there would be gross darkness in the earth. And he was correct. By Bethlehem, libraries were at their weakest and ignorance was at its highest and imbecility was at its greatest. Idolatry and mythology and dissipation and disobedience had so destroyed the mental capacity of the human race that we had become a people largely consisting of deranged and darkened and confused men and women. Science was non-existent. The favorite tools of a dentist were a hammer and a rope. And the physicians, by their, by their unclean instruments, spread more disease than they cured. But Jesus came when humanity was at its intellectual lowest. And as the angels sang, glory to God in the highest, Peace on earth, goodwill to all man. Jesus is the light of the world. The human race experienced an injection of divinity akin to that which had occurred when Adam was made. And Jesus, by just touching us, by just being here, Jesus, by parachuting down into our world behind the lines of the enemy's attempts to destroy the human race. Jesus walked and talked with us and wherever he who is absolute wisdom and intelligence went, wherever men stopped and listened, he infused them with intellect. He, he revived their human mind. He regenerated human thought. He reversed the downward trend that had been going for 4,000 years and turned the human race intellectually back toward the Father. And the result is that we today, in our modern technology and science and discovery, are still benefiting from the fact that Jesus is intellectually as well the light of the world. Did it work in his day? Ah, yes. It worked because all who touched him changed. A tax collector became a gospel historian. He who was accustomed to simply counting coins, whose level of intelligence and whose mission in life 
was to beat and cheat and make it for himself whose mind had been closed on whose thoughts the shades have been pulled to the darkness of selfishness and greed the tax collector turned out to be the one to write the beautiful story of the nativity of Christ and a militant son of thunder obsessed with theories of revolution became the adopted son of Mary and ended his life absorbed with theories of revelation. His mind and his heart had been lightened because of his association with Jesus, the light of the world. Christ's presence in our world served as a global battery to the stalled state of the intellect of his day. And the people not only saw a great light, they felt and were infused and renewed and the result has been that our world blessed with his visit brief though it was is now although the weaker and wiser we get with time blessed with all of the technology and you can go from one country and one climb to another and discover that it is only where Christianity is taught that the minds of human beings have been enlightened and those countries where other gods are served fall far behind in medicine and industry and technology because the study of Jesus, the, the relationship with the divine, all-consuming, all-encompassing wisdom that is Christ who was here in the flesh provides a revival, an uptick, a spike, a growth, and a continuous advancement in intellectualism. Jesus is the light of the world. And there is a third way in which John's tribute is true. He is not only our physical light and our intellectual light, he is also our spiritual light. Notice the book of Matthew chapter 6. Verses 22 and 23. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, the worst tragedy that existed at the time of Jesus' birth was not intellectual darkness that covered the earth. It was the spiritual blindness that the people suffered. John's or Isaiah's gross darkness describes more than anything else sin and immorality as existed in Jesus' day. It was a time of gross sin and darkness. Gross immorality, gross anger, gross bloodshed, gross slavery, gross prostitution, gross man's inhumanity to man. The people of Christ's day, that generation into which he injected himself, that generation was 
an era of spiritual blindness and darkness that had even worse consequences than their intellectual blindness. He had planted in the Garden of Eden a human being whose lusts and desires were naturally toward the Creator. But by Bethlehem, because of idolatry and frivolity and mythology, the human race had lost its lust for God and men and women were lusting for things and for each other and for the beasts of the field. But Jesus came, he who is the light of the world, he is the great physician, and he gave spiritual life and light to all who would listen. He not only resuscitated their abilities to reason and think and invent, but he gave them spiritual designs and desires and vision and hope and lusting after God. And how did he do it? He removed the dead nerves of disbelief from the interior brain. He took from the useless sockets of their orbital reasoning the empty lens of doubt and the frozen corneas of fear. He replaced disbelief with faith and doubt with hope and fear with love. And then he shined upon the creatures of his day the light of truth. And when he spoke the truth, when he gave to them glimpses of the Father's love, as he brushed away the debris that the Pharisees and Sadducees had piled upon the law of God, when he opened himself up and made himself vulnerable to the multitude and gave them parables and illustrations of the Father, when he demonstrated that God indeed is a caring God, that he is not an absentee landlord in some sterile circumstances way up there in heaven somewhere, but he is a God interested in these creatures, these creatures on this world that had been created. And when they began to see the light shone into their spiritual eyes and the shades went up and the sun came in and they confessed that he is God and they asked what must we do to be saved for some like the woman at the well and the thief on the cross salvation came immediately for others like Nicodemus and Joseph Joseph of Arimathea it took months and years but all of those who looked as did the bitten and smitten Israelites in the desert for all those who looked upon the cross where the servant of God hung, for all those who looked, there was life and there was light and they no longer fumbled in darkness of depression and doubt without hope in life and without mission and, and without any desire. They now were refreshed and awakened and they had something for which to live and they could look beyond the grave and hope for everlasting life because Jesus 
came. And he is the light of the world. But most of the people in his day did not want light. They wanted license. And so they attempted to extinguish the light. They crucified him. They jammed a crown of thorns on his head and plunged a spear into his side and drove hard and rusty nails through his hands and his feet. And they buried the light and tried to forget, but they could not. He rose on the third day and he exited the tomb with light that was more glorious and more splendid than anything they had ever seen. And now, brothers and sisters, he has gone back to his kingdom above. He did all that he could for humanity while he was here. But before he left, he established little centers of light. He said, Father, thou in me and I in them. And he made these little centers we call churches, the called out one. And he said, you are the light. You are cities set on a hill. And you cannot put a bushel over your light. And he has said, you are children of the light. First Thessalonians 5, 5. And he said, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 4. And he said, you are to walk in the light, John 12, 35. And he said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So that now, Jesus is still the light of the world, but it is not the physical sun, it is your presence and mine in the world through which he wishes to work to spread the light of truth to men and women wherever we walk and talk. And if we are faithful in the new earth, when he shall come again and shall have taken his people to glory in the new earth, we will, in fact, even before that, in the heavenly vacation of the thousand years between the second coming and when he brings the holy city back down to this world, this world once wrapped in darkness to which he gave all these lights, all these appointments for our enjoyment, for our healing, for our health, this world where we can, if we are smart, continue to read and study his word. Because as David said in Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of thy word giveth light. It is the study of the word that gives us light. It's the study of the word that sharpens our intellect, that helps us to make better decisions. It's the study of the word that gives us the strength to stand by all the vows we make. Not just saying Sabbath after seven, Sabbath, yes, I'm going to do it, and forgetting it, but studying the word, reading, as I've challenged you, Isaiah 53. The study of the word that gives us light 
and understanding and strength and power. And if we are faithful, when he comes again, we will be where, as I read my Bible, there will not be any suns and moons in heaven because Jesus is the light. He is all the light, John says. But when we come back down to this earth, we will have the sun and the moon. We will have, I believe, because sin is just the interruption of the two great eternities. And when Jesus comes back, eternity past is going to be wedded with eternity future. Time is just the space between those eternities. Time is just the way we count heartbeats and look at the calendar. Time is just a temporary space between what was before Adam's sin and what will be when Jesus comes again. And when he comes, time will be no more. And after that thousand year vacation, when the people of God come down into this world, we will have the light that Adam had. We will have the life that Adam had. And if I read Isaiah correctly, 66, 22, 23, from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, so there'll be some regularity with those lights he made on day four, shall all flesh come to worship before him. But that's not really what I want to talk to you about. What I really want to remind you of is what Habakkuk 3, 4 says, and that is that Jesus will be there and from his hands. And our lesser light, Ellen White, tells us from his brow and from his side and from his feet, there will gleam the lights. There will be streaming lights from the holes in his hands and his feet to remind us through eternity that he, Jesus, is our light. He brought us from the kingdom of darkness into the light of truth. He has given us the mentality to read and understand and believe. He's given us the spiritual orientation that turns our hearts to him. And as long as eternity shall last, he will be there with his lights to signal and remind us of his love. And that's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us praying. That's what keeps us reading and studying. We love him because of his sacrifice. And if you love him, like I do, and if you want experience to eventuate and to produce the kind of growth and maturity that leads to his final words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I gave you the light. You accepted the light. You followed the light. And one day you can live with the light forever and ever if that's your hope. And if that's what you want Christmas to mean. And if that's the way you want this season to feel. I want you to stand with me now and sing what the organist is playing together. Now, hark the herald angels sing. Jesus.
Jesus, the light of the world. We'll walk in the light, beautiful light. Come where the dew drops, mercy shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the light. The last answer, hail the heaven-born. Hail the heaven-born prince. Jesus, the light of the world. Light and light and all he brings. Jesus, the light of the world. We'll walk in the light. Walk in the light, beautiful light. Shine on the dewdrops of mercy, shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the light of the world. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, the light. We cannot truly comprehend or explain the marvels of physical creation and even less the miracle of conversion and divine regeneration. But today we bow our heads in awe and reverence, thanking you that you have brought us to the light to the light of your commandments, to the light of the Sabbath, to the light of proper family life, to the light of how to treat our bodies. You've given us light in your word, you've given us light through the voice of the prophet, and you've given us all the light we need to live right. But now, Lord, we pray that as we study and read and fast, that we shall be given the strength to walk in the light. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, what I'd like to know is whether or not in this large congregation today we have, first of all, members of the church who, as we end this year, are ready to confess, well, you know, Brother Pastor, I, I could have done a better job following the light. And there have been a few times when I walked in some other ways. But I'd like to end the new year rededicating my life. And you don't want to wait till the final Sabbath. Next week is not promised. But you want to say right now, include me in this prayer as you conclude. And ask God to give me, as I ask myself, the strength to walk in the light, to be faithful, to love the light, not darkness, but the light, and to be faithful to what I know and the way he has led and what he has told me. Is that your desire? And do you feel a need for that kind of rededication? If so, you may raise your hand right where you are, if you really do. If you're okay and you think things are working and you don't have to worry, it's all right. Maybe some of you feel that way. But if you feel it, raise your hand high and say, Lord, shine the light. 
Let me walk in the light. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Now there's the other class. There are the men and women, boys and girls here, among whom may be somebody who used to belong to the church. And you left the light and went out in the darkness, but you want to say, I'm back. I'm back. Thy word, Lord, is a light unto my path and a lamp to my feet, and I'm back. And Lord, I thank you for the Christ of the cross and for those holes. And one day I want to follow the lamb whithersoever he shall go. So I'm going to make whatever sacrifice necessary. And I want to start right now. And I'm coming back home. Anybody who used to be, or maybe your name is still on the books, but you know by rights they ought not be. And you'd like to say, I want to be rebaptized, perhaps. Maybe that's where you are. God bless you, he sees your hand, who else? God bless you, he sees your hand, who else? God bless you back there. Way in the back, Sister Barbara, there's a hand by the booth. We're gonna see to it that you are served. Just raise your hand again, sir, and that's fine. So she can see you there, who else? Finally, is there a man, a woman, a boy, a girl here who has never been in the church, some coming back? But as we talk about Jesus and Christmas and the light that he is, the light he sheds on your path, you want to say, oh, I see. Seventh-day Adventists aren't all about the law. Seventh-day Adventists understand they will never be saved by keeping the commandments. Seventh-day Adventists understand that salvation is in the righteousness of Christ and walking in the light because we believe in him and love him. We don't keep the commandments to be saved. We look at him and remember his sacrifice and look forward to being with him because he loved us first. And you would like to become a part of the Adventist church. Would you raise your hand? Let us take care of you. We'll be happy to study with you. Where are you? You may raise your hand and by that signal, full affiliation with the people of God, Dear Father, here is your word. We have examined Jesus, the source of our physical light. Jesus, the generator of our intellectual light. Jesus, the giver of our spiritual light. May your word be a seed in good soil save us that one day we who now walk in this light in our imperfect world shall see the light of the gates of glory and follow the lamb with us wherever he shall go in Jesus name let all the people say amen shall we be seated Jesus, the light of the world. Of all the intellectual prowess that we recognize, we all understand that it all originated with Jesus. Amen. Let us stand 
for the benediction. Let us stand for the benediction to be dismissed. I want to make one announcement before we have our benediction. Those of us who will be traveling with Elder Hudson to visit the homeless, let's please meet outside the front area of the church immediately after the service is over. Let us pray. Father, this morning we have received spiritual manner, and we pray that we will take that food, use it, and we may emulate Jesus, the light of the world. Now, Lord, may your grace and your mercy rest, rule, and abide with us. Please bless us as we leave this place. But Lord Jesus Christ, never ever leave our presence. In Jesus' name, let the church say, Amen.